Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 4, verse 7. You can find it here in your leaflet. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves, for any of you, if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the word, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you, or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us, of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not, do, that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Robert. Well, good morning again. I am Colin. I am an adult. Welcome if you're watching online as well. Well, what makes you different? That was the question that last verse Robert just read for us. What makes you different? My grandma was from Manchester like me, similar accent to mine. Not, so not especially common but not posh either. However, whenever she answered the phone, she transformed. Hello, <laughs> 8346 Taylor Residence, or like Hyacinth Bouquet. I think that's a generational thing. Um, and I think we can all relate to finding ourselves talking differently depending on the company that we're in. But what about deeper than that? If we stop and think and think about who we are, like what our default reactions are, uh, the way we think and approach life, our sense of right and wrong, good or bad, whether we're optimistic, pessimistic. If we had to explain, if you had to explain right now why you are like you are, I wonder what you'd say. Or maybe it's easy to think of it as when you've been introduced to someone's, someone else's friends or when you've met uh, someone else's family for the first time. What needs explaining about you? What excuses do people need to make about you as to why you are like you are? 
I reckon we could point to lots of things in our lives that have happened to us, to circumstances. But more so, I reckon we could all point to key people, key relationships in our lives that have shaped us. Who makes you different? So often that's family. Uh, My wife Sharon has what I call her Brian piles. So piles of clutter next to her favorite chair. And it was a revelation when I met her dad, because her dad Brian was exactly the same. You know, chip off the old block, her Brian piles of clutter. So often our family makes a difference in who we are. But today's question is even deeper than that. Who makes you different from anyone else? When it comes to your standing before God. Who makes us different to anyone else when it comes to our relationship with our creator God who made us and loves us and rescued us. And who wants the very best for us living for him and with him in peace and joy. Who makes you different? The Corinthians have been getting all of this upside down as we've been seeing. They've been puffing themselves up with pride aligning themselves with particular leaders as if it were those leaders that made them different to anyone else. And it's been causing divisions amongst them. So God wants to help these proud people, who are, and Paul wants to help these proud people who are getting things upside down. That's what this letter to the Corinthians is about. And his big point in this section that began um, in, at the start of chapter 3, that's in Uh, Chapter 4, verse 6. It's on your leaflets there. Chapter 4, verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. You know, don't don't, uh, go past Old Testament teaching. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over and against the other. So they're full of themselves and telling Paul that they've got better leaders who can make more of a difference in them now. So with their Corinth wisdom goggles on, some are preferring Apollos, who spoke eloquently and persuasively, over Paul, who they see as a bit of a numpty, speaking with fear and trembling. So that's where they're up to. Let's see now how Paul is going to help them, help us to drop this pride and get back to seeing it's only Jesus who really makes us different. So there's an outline in your leaflets there. Very simple, two big points and a conclusion. Seeing ourselves rightly, seeing leaders rightly, and then briefly boasting rightly. So first of all, seeing ourselves rightly. Church is too important for us to be trying to be important. Church is too important for us to be trying to be important. Verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So he's saying this dividing over different speakers, that isn't a minor issue. That's a really big deal because we collectively, church, are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. So trying to chop up that temple is trying to chop up God. 
to illustrate, I've got a slide here, thanks, Graham. Back in the 90s in England, there was a farmer uh, who had a long-running dispute with his bank. And, you know, perfectly rationally, rationally, in protest, he dumped four tonnes of cow poo on the bank's doorstep. And when the council refused him planning permission, he spread muck all over the front of their offices too. So, now, his beef wasn't with bricks and mortar. He wasn't complaining about the architecture. Attacking the building was really attacking the people making the decisions inside. If we attack or sideline or put down legitimate faithful parts of God's church for wrong reasons, well, that's attacking God. And he won't stand for it. Being happy to falsely divide church along human wisdom lines leads to destruction. The language is very strong. God will destroy that person. God's church is too important to him to have someone who thinks they're more important divide it. So that means we shouldn't be looking to get a kick out of being better than a faithful church down the road. We shouldn't be like, ooh, I'm part of the Trinity Network, therefore I'm okay. No, the only reason we're okay is because of Jesus. And anything causing people to trust in something other than him is what will be destroyed. That's why sometimes the right thing to do is to divide. But let's be clear, it's those sidelining Jesus and refusing to trust in his word that are disqualifying themselves. They're dividing themselves. It's not the faithful who are being divisive, however much they might try and sell it like that. So we don't care about being a better, better than another church, faithful church down the road. We care more about the facts that God will destroy those who are out to destroy the church by getting it to be about something other than the foundation of Christ. Verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. If you value true wisdom, become a fool for Christ. Answers to the ultimate questions of life can only be found in God's wisdom in the gospel. Again, it's not that human wisdom is inherently bad. It's just that we're very good at using it to entirely miss the most important point, the good news gospel of Jesus. But nobody ever has, nobody ever will outsmart God. No one will ever surprise him with something that he hasn't thought of. No one will outwit him. He's already thought of everything. And even in light of all the insight of the sharpest, most developed thoughts, most enlightened thoughts and reasoning of humanity, even in light of all that, the foolish message of the cross is still the wisdom that we need. No idea or thought or belief or philosophy will ever outdo that simple news that God looked on you and me in our rebellion against him and in his grace sent his son Jesus to die on a Roman cross so that we can be forgiven 
reconciled, brought back into the joy and peace of relationship with him. So on a fair-minded, neutral, rational basis, there are good reasons to be a Christian. But just don't expect many people to say that. People will always think their ideas are more credible. And we've just got to be careful not to peg the credibility of our message, of our leaders, to worldly badges of honour. Do not deceive yourselves. So the Corinthians have got it all upside down. They don't belong to a leader. Those leaders belong to them. They don't belong to a leader. Those leaders belong to them. Verse 21. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So we don't belong to particular leaders. Leaders belong to their church community. So you don't go to Collins Church. I mean, who's he? You don't go to a Trinity Network church. Not really. That's just us being organized and thinking we can achieve more for God uh, together than we can apart. It's just a way of spurring one another on and making sure we keep going on about Jesus. But our leaders are ours, and not just our leaders. He says, all the world, life and death, present and future, they're all, all the things you might worry about are ours. How? Well, back in chapter 1, verse 5 to 7, Paul said this, For in him, so in Christ, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So in him, that idea keeps popping up throughout Corinthians. We're joined with Christ. We're hidden in in him. His story has become our story. His goodness, our goodness. Christ's riches are our riches. So we don't need to take pride in anything else. We don't need to win status. We've already got it. The world or life or death or the present or the future, all the things we worry about, all taken care of. All the world belongs to Jesus, made through him and for him. All of existence is his present and future. Even death is his. Yes, we'll die, but even life can't be taken from us. We start living the life of the age to come in right relationship with God now in the present age. Not perfectly yet, but getting a good head start. And therefore the present has become our own possession in Christ. Those are big ideas, but the gist is this. All these things we're worried about have become our birthright. This is our glorious freedom. We're not bound to the whims of chance what might happen to us. The future is no cause to panic because it's already ours. So in light of that, that everything is ours in Christ, how do we then see these leaders who belong to us rightly? How are we seeing leaders rightly? Our next heading. I mean, in light of such assurance and knowing we have such riches in Christ, 
it seems very reductive, very petty for the Corinthians to say, well, I'm in Paul's gang. I'm in a policies group. It's also piffling and narrow. Because Paul and Apollos are just sinners saved by grace, like you and me. Apollos and Paul and Peter and whoever else and the whole universe are yours. So it's just plain daft to fight about what we own anyway. In any case, it all belongs to Jesus and he belongs to God. 4 verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So the us there, remember, is the apostles, such as Peter and Paul, and their close group, such as Apollos, who wasn't an apostle. It's a tongue twister here. Apollos wasn't an apostle, but he was appointed by, by the apostles to get the apostolic message out, if you get what I mean. So the apostles and their group, all of them are just servants of Christ and his gospel. Any pastor, preacher, leader in a church is just a servant of Christ and his gospel. That means we don't get to pick and choose which apostles we have written down for us in the Bible. We don't get to pick and choose which ones we listen to. Because I've heard some people say, oh, I don't like Paul, so I always read Peter or John. But in the end, if you reject their words, you are rejecting God's words. It's God's message you're rejecting because they're just servants of the gospel. And so we can read all of the apostles in the Bible Uh, knowing their emphasis, knowing how they express things, what situation they're in, all of that stuff. And some will resonate with you differently than others, but all of it is the authoritative words of the Holy Spirit. So you can't dismiss an apostle's word just because you don't like him. The servants of Christ and his gospel. This This is how you assess any leader, any teacher in the church as servants of Christ and his gospel. That means me, Paul Harrington, my boss, the Trinity Network, we're just stewarding, we're just looking after, on God's behalf, those same mysteries of the gospel that he revealed to the apostles. Nothing new. We're God's skivvies. We're his slaves. You know, we're Daisy on Downton Abbey. We're the third guard on the left in the war movie. We're the ones whose names appear six minutes into the end credits of a movie. The best preacher in the world, the most capable church leader with a track record of planting and growing churches, or the pastor doing it tough in a regional area in hard soil, getting nowhere fast. Just servants of the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. So that said, how do we work out who is a good or a bad servant? Well, verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Prove faithful. That's the key thing. Are they faithful? Can they be trusted to keep Jesus the main thing? They will be judged according to their faithfulness to this gospel and not by any other standard that the world might think is more appropriate. So the world might be worried about uh, whether they're a charismatic speaker, they've got a great personality, they're popular, 
They've been to enough conferences, they've raised enough money, planted enough churches, or whatever the current trendy thing is. But the right and proper way to scrutinize any pastor or leader is to ask the question, are they being faithful to the task we've been given of making sure God's word is taught and shared? Just be faithful. Excuse me. Now, we need to be careful here. Being faithful is not an excuse to just keep doing the same thing over and over and not care about the results. Because, you know, you can say, well, I was being faithful. Sometimes being faithful will mean changing things, but just never, ever the gospel. Um, If you were here last week, John shared with us a bit of, Acts 19, and I'll just read that again, Acts 19, 8 to 10. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now, Paul was faithful, wasn't he? Speaking boldly in this synagogue for ages, for three months. And notice he argued persuasively. So whether or not people believed was always in God's hands, always up to him, and Paul knew that. But it didn't stop him bringing the best of his abilities to be faithful to his task. So under God, Paul wasn't nothing to do with the outcome. He didn't just let go and let God and be all passive. Our being faithful to the gospel doesn't mean being passive. It means throwing in our best effort in faithfulness. Verse 9. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. So he wasn't working in church, so he moved on to the community center. Now, Paul had been a faithful servant of the gospel in that synagogue, but he didn't use faithfulness to hide behind. He didn't say, look, well, I'm being faithful. I'll just keep going and God will do his thing. No, he read the room. So he's also also faithful in using his nous and common sense that God gives us to say, oh, this isn't working anymore. Let's try somewhere else. And so he did. And it worked. Verse 10, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So please hear me. God is sovereign. God brings around the, about the growth. God draws people to himself. But in his sovereignty, the way he does that, the way he sets things up, is so that what we do has got something to do with it, with how things work out. It's not, that, it's not us that makes anyone different, but in his kindness, he does, does give us a role in making people different. And it's not always a straightforward cause and effect thing. And I always often remind myself, there are more faithful pastors than me with less fruitful churches and less faithful pastors than me with more fruitful churches. It's not all down to us, but we are involved. In all of this, we measure who a good leader is in their faithfulness. Paul was faithful to the gospel in sticking with one place, faithful to the gospel in changing his strategy and moving on as well. So we've got tremendous freedom with that one very strict gospel guideline that we never move out of. 
So when we were planning this church before we launched, the man, our mantra was, everything's up for grabs except the gospel. So dream big for the gospel. Have imagination for the gospel. You are free to question why we do what the way we do it. I won't be offended. The leadership team won't be offended. We're not promising to change it. We might have a good reason why we're doing the things we do. But please, we want to just do our very best for the gospel. And we're all part of that. We want to be faithful, but not use that as an excuse to stifle change. So the passage is clear. We, should, we can and we should measure external signs of faithfulness, whether we're sticking with the gospel. But only God knows someone's heart. Verse 3, Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motivation, motives of the heart. So Paul's got the humility of a servant to know he can't even trust his own judgment of his own heart, let alone know anybody else's heart. We just have to trust God with that, freeing us to focus on what we do know, whether or not they're being faithful to Jesus. So whilst it's good and proper to insist our leaders are outwardly faithful to the gospel, we shouldn't knock them down pretending to know their heart motivation, nor should we build them up to be more than they are claiming to know their heart motivation. So don't give anyone special attention because they say they've got a special calling from God or because they have a real heart for a particular issue or people. We can't know what their heart is. Only God knows their heart. What God wants for them, what God wants for all of us, is to be faithful servants of what he has made known, what is clear, the glorious good news, that by throwing our lot in with Jesus, we are saved. To finish then, boasting rightly. How do we go about boasting rightly? So as I said, all of this section has been to make sure, verse 6, they will not be puffed up in order in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So who makes you different? It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's not me. It's not the Trinity Network. It's not your growth group. It's not that online preacher or podcast you listen to. It's not Tim Keller or Don Carson or John Piper or any of the top 10 books in Kurong's Christian bookshop. Who makes you different? Well, lots of circumstances, lots of relationships will have an influence for better or for worse. And perhaps for you right now, circumstances or a relationship is really dominating your existence and your thoughts. And those 
circumstances or relationships can feel like they're really way down, weigh you down every day. Or if it's going well, they could be really puffing you up with pride. But all of that is nothing compared to the difference Jesus makes to us. Jesus is greater, he's wiser, he's kinder, he's more generous. And he's made everything okay for you and for me, not just now, but for eternity. His story is our story. In him, any aspect of existence, all the things we might worry about, are ultimately sorted out for us. Jesus has made you different. He's made you gloriously different. Forgiven. You're free. You're a child of God. And all of it a gift. Given to you by grace. Nothing to be proud of. You don't need to be proud for the people who told it you. Or for yourself. It's just a gift to be accepted with thanks. So see yourself rightly. The temple of, you're the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Everything is ours in Christ. Our leaders belong to us, not vice versa. And see those leaders rightly. Servants of the gospel to be assessed on whether they're being faithful to the original gospel message. Leaving it up to God to know their hearts. And boast rightly. Be proud of Jesus, the only one who can make you truly different. Let's pray. Lord God, we bring before you uh, the circumstances and the relationships that weigh on us and have an influence, for better or worse, on us. Help us not to be weighed down by those or full of pride in those, but to know the difference you make in us. You've saved us. You made your story our story. And our future with you is dead set sure. Please help us live in the present now in light of that. And please help us to be uh, discerning and careful in the, in the teaching we listen to. And always assess our leaders uh, on how true and faithful they are to the gospel. Amen.